can unclick. Hey everyone, it's Eric with Blue Collar Nation, the podcast devoted to making blue collar service business owners' lives better. And I am here tonight with my business partner, Larry Wilberton. Say hi, Larry. And Larry and I, uh, we're going to go through our story tonight. We have a long and awesome, but sometimes difficult and sordid story. Um, We're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves, and then we're going to tell our 13-year journey up to selling our business and starting a new one. Larry, why don't you you start off? 13 years? Was that long? My gosh, it was like a flash in the pan. Really? To me, it seemed like an eternity with you. (laughs) (laughs) Although you're still here with me. So so something's doing right. Uh, Larry, why don't you give everybody a background on, you know, where you're from, all that stuff, you know, kind of your story from kind of how you grew up and then how you ended up becoming a blue collar service business owner. Well, I am a Jersey boy. I grew up right outside of the city in Fairfield, New Jersey, with all the goombas. And um, it was a good experience. Had a great childhood, a lot of fun. Went to Keene State College. Was a bit of a musclehead when I got there. And uh, met Eric at school in Keene, New Hampshire. Eric's from Maine. And we had a, we had a good time. College was a blast. It was a field day. And we were a couple of muscle heads there. We had our hair all party in the back, short up top. We had the blue I, pants. I think, I think we majored in lifting and drinking. Yeah, more lifting and drinking and fraternity-fying. My fraternity more than anything. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was a blast. But I came out to California in my summertime with a bunch of fraternity brothers and we visit Venice Beach. And that was pretty cool. And then when you came out years later, we both went there. It was pretty neat. But, um, yeah, I moved out to California immediately after college. And um, I've been out here since 1991. I'm sick of shoveling driveways and being sick half of the year. So, so Larry, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what blue-collar experiences you had growing up, if any. And, and just kind of your whole thought about blue collar leading up to becoming a blue collar business owner. Growing up, it was, you know, we all had to work hard at whatever needed to be done, shoveling driveway, raking leaves, doing stuff like that. That was no big deal. My dad worked in the food service most of my childhood, which I went into the restaurants, waiting tables and bartending afterwards because I guess it was comfortable. But after that, he went to work with my grandfather. They were developing buildings. And um, I used to go and clean out these enormous buildings. They were like three and four acres big on the inside. And I have to weed the weed up front and a lot of work like that. And uh, my grandparents had a real big house on the hill. And they'd get this big tractor load of uh, firewood. And I'd have to split it all, my brother and I, Mike. Mike didn't work as fast as I did. I wanted to get done quicker. So we split a lot of wood and, you know, you get a work ethic. You know, when I graduated so school. Did you, you want to be in the blue collar trades, though, when you got out of college? Was that a goal? No, not necessarily. Yeah. I went to school for went to school for quite a while, eventually for computer science. And I was fixing computers, troubleshooting systems, 
and um, it was more of a white collar world until I ran into you in Salt Lake, or actually it was your house in Ogden, or Eden, I'm sorry. And then uh, you sold me on the to clean some air ducts with you. And I was on my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally cool. I mean, I enjoy working in general. I did all this stuff as a kid, working in restaurants, working around the house. Um, it was never anything where we would have to slack on what we had to do. Yeah. But um, it was, you know, it was a work ethic. You had to have a work ethic. And that was something when I came to California. We lived in our on the beach in California when I was uh, in our summers in college. And it was a work ethic thing. I'd work in different restaurants over the summer. And some of these guys would just be sitting around on the beach. They were beach bums. It wasn't much of a work ethic down there. And so I used to say it's an East Coast work ethic. And it just grew yeah. legs. And, um, All right. You know. Okay. Well, and, you know, you had mentioned that I grew up in Maine. I grew up in Portland, Maine. And uh, I probably grew up a more blue-collar existence than Larry. Most of my friends or dads were electricians and lobstermen and plumbers. And almost every job I had ever had leading up through college was some kind of blue-collar job. I had done landscaping, pool service, electrician's assistant, mason's assistant. So I had done a lot of trades work. And I was desperate to not do any of that. I, I, you know, wasn't that I hated it so much. I just thought that the grass was greener on the other side. And that if I wore a white collar, I'd make more money and, and, you know, drive a Ferrari and do cool stuff. Well, that's why you went to college for so long and you wanted to get, didn't you, you were admitted into schools for your history degree, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a history degree. I got a full scholarship to Boston College for a PhD program. I was doing anything I could do to avoid avoid my blue-collar childhood. But that was kind of the funny thing. When I got to graduate school and my major was Irish-American history in and around Boston in the 19th century, and they'd be talking about you know, this kind of blue collar life. But the thing was, is it didn't, re- it didn't resemble anything that I had grown up with. And it just seemed like all theory and no practice. And I, I basically thought it was all bullshit. So I quit school and I, <laughs> I quit a PhD program with a full scholarship and moved to California and dug ditches for the next year and a half for, cable. for fiber optic cable company. So, you know, Somehow I went, you know, foot, ass, and elbow back into blue collar, and I've I've never left since. So it, it must have been in my blood, and I just didn't recognize it. I was fighting the inevitable, I guess. So, um, yeah, I had a bunch of blue collar kind of jobs and worked up in those and, you know, did pretty well. But it was always kind of running technicians. I, I started running technicians at a pretty young age. And – uh and then I left that and I started an air duct cleaning business out of my garage and uh, Shamrock. Shamrock. And um, I started, you know, times were booming. It was 2007 and Larry came up and visited and said, Hey, you know, I've got this computer gig. I'm going to come to Salt Lake and, you know, let's hook up. And I said, great. I got, <laughs> I got two air duct jobs. You can come help me. So, uh, and I had kind of gotten to the point where I had so much work, I couldn't, 
I couldn't do it all physically myself because I think I was like 39 or 40 by that time. And, uh, and it was boring to work by yourself. And, and also where I was, was pretty rural. I had left Southern California and it just wasn't going to be big enough. So I, I manipulated, coerced, begged, whatever, Larry to, to join me. <laughs> No, it was a great adventure because it was right at the end of 2007. The economy didn't take a dump yet. I was with a company that my hands were tied a lot. It wasn't fun working for these people. And he created entrepreneurial opportunity. Yeah. There's money around. You had enough work for both of us. And we were going to figure it out. We knew that we both knew how to work hard enough together. We used to walk to the gym. We didn't say that. When we were in Keene, We'd walk to the gym in the snow. Yeah. And um, can I tell the story? Can I tell the story about when I when I talked to my dad about doing a partnership with you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, Keene, New Hampshire is like the snow belt, and Larry and I were super dedicated about our lifting. Like we didn't miss workouts, and sometimes the, these the snowstorms would roll in. And, and, you know, we get a lot of snow, but the thing is, it was so windy there, it would drift. I mean, sometimes you drift like waist to chest high. Keen was in a Larry and I would be out there, you know, because we used to have to cut through this field to the fitness factory where we lifted. And we'd be like pounding our way through like waist to chest deep snow to get there. And then we'd get there and the gym would be closed down <laughs> because no fool in their right mind would no. would want to work out. We were always so mad. I was so pissed. I'm like, why aren't they open? Yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, so anyway, when I was telling my dad, like, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, bringing Larry in on this and we'll have a partnership. And he was like, isn't that the kid who used to, like, pound through the snow and the snowstorms with you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> Just take him. He's got work ethic. <laughs> so that's how we uh, that's how we started, and uh, we started on a journey. So I guess the next step, Larry, would be to tell everybody kind of you know what happened in 2008. Once I came back to California, I stayed in Utah. My family stayed in Utah, and I started kind of commuting. At the beginning, I was only going home a couple of days a month, really. But um, that's when the economy took a dump. Took a shit, yeah. Everybody didn't know what was, you know, didn't know what was going on, and it was, uh, it was kind it of literally chaotic. It took a crap like right when we started in California. Yeah. I mean, almost to the day. I mean, and our we timing could not have been worse. And we were focusing on the business and on the news and what was going on in the world. Well, I remember gas went from like two to four dollars a gallon, and we freaked oh out about that. Oh my gosh. And yeah, the only so people we could get to hire us were those trailer park elderly people. Yeah. So what we were doing air duct cleaning, which I had been killing it in Utah with that, but the you know the economy was in two thousand seven was still strong. Well, air duct cleaning is like the first friggin' thing that goes out the window when the economy goes bad, especially when it goes as bad as it did in the Great Recession. So all of a sudden, Larry and I are like scrambling to make any money we can. Right, Larry? Yeah, because we took that dive. We figured we had the entrepreneurial seizure, and all of a sudden, it was poor timing. We couldn't have picked yeah. the worst time. So we started doing trash outs. Um, 
we did anything that would pay the bills, any, any, anything. And I mean, I remember taking a Sawzall and cutting a friggin' hot tub into four pieces so that we could throw it out in a dumpster on a foreclosed house. That, I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. I remember and, that. Uh, you, you remember that? Sluggo worked with us. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, the point being is that, you know, this wasn't all roses and fun. And, you know, I mean, this was a grind. This was survival mode. Um, you know, and we were older. We both had families. We were like roughly 40. Larry's a little younger than me. So he was probably 38, 39. And, um, you know, we just made up our mind that we were going to double down and get known and take any job. And, you know, we're going to grind this out until we make it. You know, like we basically burned the boat. <laughs> we hit the island and burned the boat and said, we're in. And um, it was it was hard times. We actually started carpet cleaning because we realized that. So many people were asking for it. People were at, you know, they didn't want the duck cleaning, but carpet cleaning is something that even though people were being really tight with their money, they, they'd rather clean their carpet than replace it. So we started cleaning carpet and we started getting more work doing that, but it still wasn't enough. So then we started cleaning hair salons at night. Larry, somehow, Larry somehow sold somebody. Larry was the sales and marketing guy, by the way, and I was the ops guy. Larry sold a hair salon on – we did seven nights a week, 365 days a year where we'd clean – at least two of the three hair salons that this guy owned. And they were all like 45 minutes from each other. Yeah. So it was and, a long you know, we were just like, holy crap, we're in the janitorial business. This was such, so easy to get. Well, li- little do we know that cleaning hair salons is like the shit work of the janitorial industry. <laughs> Cause there's freaking hair everywhere. <laughs> it was horrible. And, uh, and it was our first foray into having staff because, as we did it, we, we were working all day and then we'd sleep a couple hours and then we'd be out to like three or four in the morning, sleep a couple hours and go back and try to grow our carpet cleaning business. Remember, dude, I, I thought I was going to die. I literally thought it was going to kill me. And then, I mean, the janitorial wasn't part of the picture. Either was the trash outs, but we were just trying to make it happen because we had to put food on the table. And there was many other people that were struggling as well because we would go to all those chamber events and chambers grew like crazy because it was a cheap way of marketing. So yeah. everybody with the extra money they have, they bought a chamber membership. The chambers were booming and everybody was hanging out at the chambers, but there wasn't a lot of work no. going back and forth. I mean, we you did remember, well, generally speaking. remember when we used to call each other? Our, we didn't have an office phone. We had cell phones. And Larry and I would call each other to make sure our phones work because nobody was calling us. And we were like, oh, the phone system must be down. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'd call each other and get all sad. No, it rang. Crap. Nobody's calling us still. <laughs> yeah. So we were just, it was a school of hard knocks. That's what we went through in the beginning completely. And it was the worst time in our lifetime, I expect, I hope. No, I hope, I hope that never happens again. Yeah, it was tough um, people. But we made it through, you know, and it was basically Larry and I are both extremely stubborn people. And we don't give up easily, even when we probably should. 
and we just stuck it out, you know, and back to the janitorial thing a little bit. So all of a sudden we, we needed more people because we, we had so much work to do. We started getting work in the day because we marketed so hard during the day. We started to get work and we didn't put any thought into managing or systematizing this janitorial. So we just hired basically some losers who didn't have jobs and we kind of just sent them out. And I don't know if I'd say losers. There was a lot of people looking for work and anybody was f- happy to be working for us. These guys just did. didn't perform. Did. Late night, all night long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can you can fucking spin that any way you want. <laughs> they were not winners. <laughs> you know? And nor, nor were we. We, we, no, we didn't point, give no. them the tools to succeed. No, we did not. And that was in hindsight. Yeah, that was the thing. We didn't give them the tools to succeed, which was led to essentially how we were able to sell the business. But that was a huge epiphany when they were asking for gas money and cleaning supplies and systems and we had nothing to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the sad part is that you know, we, we eventually got busy enough during the day that we could let th- those contracts go because th- they weren't great money makers, and we didn't really want them to begin with because either Larry or I had to be out or both of us had to be out kind of all night with them because we'd be cleaning one place and another guy would be cleaning the other place. So it wasn't like we were sitting at home, you know, watching TV while they made us money. And – you know, that kind of made it worse. And I think one of the other reasons we weren't doing a good job managing is because we were so exhausted because we were working like 20, 21 hours a day, pretty much. I mean, we didn't have weekends off. We just worked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, finally, I mean, I just remember thinking like, I just want to get enough work during the day that we can let the stupid janitorial go. And and finally we got that, you know, we did we did a good job marketing. I mean, I think we were, we were real, especially in the early days before we had a lot of guys. Larry and I did a good job with the marketing, yeah. and um, so we got rid of that. So you would have thought that we would have learned the lesson of, hey, we didn't have systems for these guys, and hey, we're not managing them, and hey, we're not building a culture, and we're not having any meetings, and like they weren't engaged at all. They just wanted to make their twelve bucks an hour or whatever, and and leave, and. You know, yet when we started our carpet cleaning business for real, we didn't learn this right away. Like we didn't learn it from that. I don't know why we didn't learn it. I think we were so we had, tired. We had a lot of clues too. We saw Michael Gerber because we got some coaches. We had yeah, Joe Polish. That was a little after that though. It was the same story. We read the E-Meth and we still were behaving without systems, without – I mean, it took us a couple of years till you started getting a clue and doing your tech whisper stuff, but it didn't click so fast. We had a lot of years where it was a super challenge just to get the guys doing and the crazy stories of things that would happen. Just, I think every blue collar service business owner has these crazy stories. They're not usually proud of telling them. I mean, if you put 20 guys, 20 owners in the same room, you come up with some crazy stories. And um, the weed whacker on the couch, 
funky with stepping over the in the attic. This guy we had, he was great, great guy. He's stepping over this board, and Eric's saying, "Don't break the board." It was a piece of drywall board. Don't break. Don't step over that. And he's like, "No, no, I'm fine." He kept leaping over it back and forth. They're in an attic, right? No, don't worry. I'm not going to break the board. Sure I'm enough. I'm a rock climber. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was he just joined the rock climbing gym, so he was all proud of himself. And obviously, you were there, but boom, he stepped on the board and snapped in half. And we had the worst client in the whole world on that job. She was going to be losing her money. You don't got, like getting yelled at by a woman that you don't like, Mrs. Jones. It's crawling up your butt the whole time. You're not going to give her an excuse. Yeah. So anyway, the the, the point is... No, no, we no, didn't. no. Hang on a second. <laughs> hey, make sure you stay close to the mic, Larry. So anyway, Eric calls me hot. He's so angry. He's going to kill Funky. So I'm in, in the area. So I drive over this job in Rancho. And he's going to kill. You got to go in the house and finish the job. I can't go back in the house. I'm going to throw him down the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> that was hot. So I went up into the attic. Luckily, the homeowner had no clue what was going on because it made it easier. She was up in the attic. It would have been a mess. I ended up walking. You remember you pulled in and I was walking, like I was pacing out in the driveway because I was trying to. Your arms above your head, trying to breathe. (laughs) With those stupid Crocs on that we had. Yeah, I know. So I got in the attic and Funky is just scared to death. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. I finished so, the job, and Mrs. Jones wasn't half as bad as we expected. We just no, painted. Well, I think you kind of saved the day on that one, honestly. But um, that was Larry's skill. He he smoothed over the customers that were unhappy, um, or or when things went wrong. That's one of Larry's strengths. Sounds, but that was kind of the. It's a good point that you brought that up, Larry. That was kind of the beginning of me saying, "Well, wait a minute. We need to make some systems. We need to have some." standard operating procedures. We need to start, I don't think we did meetings right away, but we started to do more training on like how to behave in the house and your grooming. And like, it was a slow progression to basically maturing as a company and as an owner and, and, and building a real business. Yeah. And that would have never happened if we didn't go to Howard Parkridge, I don't think. No, because Michael Gerber, Darren Hardy, um, Jim, no, what's his name? Rome, Dr. Rome, learning oh, the disc. Well, yeah, with disc. Maxwell was awesome. That changed it. Maxwell and um, Rome changed everything. Yeah. You went to the Maxwell training, you applied the disc. Let's back up, Larry, because I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So, so what happened was we started, you know, we made the mistakes in the janitorial, may probably learned something, but not a lot. Started getting a couple guys, Tracy and George and Funky, and we did a better job at managing them than we did with janitorial, you know, janitorial staff, but we still weren't there. So we were like, we need coaching because what was happening is, <laughs> to be honest, we weren't really managing that much because we'd go market all day and we were kind of leading by abdication where it's like, well, Larry and I are going to go market 
and we're going to get tons of work. And then you guys are expected to go do it extremely well so that we can go market and get more work. And as anybody listening knows that that doesn't work well, you know? Um, So what happened was, you know, Larry and I just mentally went on growth mode. We're just like, we've gone, you know, three years with no money and, you know, the economy's finally starting to come back and we're going to blow this thing up. And what happened was we did that, except we started to implode because we had no back end. We were all front end. Larry and I were very good at sales and marketing and we had nobody running the show. <laughs> so, so with that growth came tons of problems and all of a sudden we hit a ceiling. Like we just couldn't grow anymore because then it became market, sell, put out fires. Yeah. Market. Yeah. And the, the cycle just was yeah. so obvious yeah. And beyond the jobs, doing the jobs that we sold that our guys needed help doing. And as we're on the jobs, we were just like, oh, my gosh, we got to get back out there to market. The email marketing helped and the audio well, and marketing. What happened, what happened to you is you started to become gun shy because you were worried that every time we'd start to get busy after that. So I bailed out of sales and marketing and started doing operations full time because we needed that. But what happened to Larry was that was so traumatic. Because how do you how do you market? You build relationships with people, and Larry, much more than me, cares whether people like him or not, which is a good thing. But it really put the fear in you from that point forward, and it re- for a long, long time capped our growth. Because as soon as we start to get busy, I'd say keep pushing, keep pushing, and you'd be like, "No, nah, we're going to implode, dude." Right. Yeah, because we would get so much work, we couldn't keep up with it. And you're like, no, no, we can do it. And then, you know, we would, of course, but you and I would be working around the clock doing the work. And then the work would slow down, then it would go out and market. I'd be out there marketing, and then it would be that cycle. But I'd have to – our guys weren't good enough to do the good job that I was selling as well. Yeah, you were were selling – what you and I could pull off versus what they could pull off. And, you know, owners always, this is, I think the the biggest blue collar business owners problem is they always think their guys are going to be just like them and care as much as them. And the reality is that what you and I finally settled on was the 70% rule. Like your very best guy is going to do 70% of what you can do. Um, and most of the guys are going to be 40 to 50%. So how do you manage that? You know, that's the key. And, you know, systems are what manages that and culture is what manages that. So, you know, but that took a long time to build. And that took going through a lot of people to get the right people. Well, actually, I think we got the right people. But I think coming back to what I was saying earlier, if we knew how to train these people well, the continuous daily training that we eventually did, it would have made these guys better in the long run. I mean, the the meetings that we had empowered these guys, made them better, made themselves feel better about themselves, which eventually made it so that we could sell the company. So I'm not as down on the guys from the past that didn't do as well. 
granted, you get your numpties or somebody you can't connect with, and that kind of causes problems in the business. But if they were in the environment that we were in when we were. And yeah, you're, you're not wrong there. I mean, I said that in the intro to this podcast that there were technicians that would have thrived if they were around. I had been ready for them. You know, they would have ended up being great. I just wasn't at a place where I could fix what needed to be fixed, you know? Um, So really what happened is, you know, we, we got to a certain dollar amount and then we got stuck and we got stuck at that dollar amount for years because it was, it was kind of like our cap. Like we couldn't get past it because any more revenue than that or work than that, Larry and I couldn't manage, we couldn't put out enough fires. Even as we started to get better, it still was capping for a certain period of time. And, you know, it's like the business looked amazing on the outside. Like we'd go to chamber meetings and people would be like, you guys have the greatest business. You know, we'd won a bunch of local awards. I mean, we were really well thought of. I mean, it looked like the American dream. But on the inside, it was pain. It was coming at a super heavy cost to you and I. Yeah, well, we had, you know, we didn't have the skills. They were developing over the time, but to learn the blue collar business with a team of guys and all those trucks on the road and all the liability, and to get the job with the competitive environment that we live in, we had to move and shake and make things happen and. It was a challenge. It was a good challenge. I mean, I'm not regretting it or saying it wasn't worth it or we didn't do a good or bad job. I just. No, I'm just started. trying to paint the picture that it, it wasn't all roses as we grew, you know, and that you, you brought up a good point, Larry, like the water damage restoration industry was really kind of growing along with us and the Southern California level of competition in that industry was epic. I mean, getting and and keeping work in that environment, you had to be A++ all the time or you were going under. Yeah. And we saw businesses going under all the time, even good ones, because it was just so hyper competitive. Yeah, and that was also because I think it was the 24-hour thing because that wore me out personally. Having the phone at my side 24-7, even when we had guys that were running it and we had people that could do a decent job on the field because we did have that the last couple of years, the phone would still be going off all night long. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I should have turned it off. But uh, it just wore me out. Yeah. Well, because typical owner stuff, I mean, even though we had somebody on call, we had it set up so both you and I would get a text message that that call had come in. So we would wake up to be sure that whoever was on call really went. <laughs> yeah. Um, I let that go earlier than you did. Last few years, I didn't think about it at all, to be honest. But you know, I mean, I think our just our personalities. I'm I'm much more willing to let go than than you probably. Yeah. Um. So anyway, you know, we kind of moved from 
we were moving into a mature business. It just you know, it wasn't smooth, but I think a lot of businesses, that's not smooth. And that's why businesses start to really do better kind of at year 10, especially if the owners haven't owned a business elsewhere, you know, prior. It, it takes you that long to get good. It, you know, they just, I mean, yeah, some guys are in industries where they can pick it up really quickly or they're just gifted. But most of the blue collar business service business owners I know it took them a long time to get good it's just there's a lot of moving parts and it's not like a manufacturing place where you stand and watch everybody work you're sicking your staff on people in their homes that's high stakes sicking them sicking <laughs> them on come on, them on the, no you want you know because like yeah you're great guys you never worry about but you know how it gets when it gets busy. You're sending guys out that you're nervous about, and they're going to train them thoroughly. Well, well, we're getting we're getting to that. I mean, the point is, in the earlier days, I didn't always feel confident or good about sending some of our guys into people's homes. I mean, not like they were going to steal or, or do bad things; more just that they weren't going to do a great job. Um, so then we kind of had a major event. I think just, you know, I had some stuff going on at home, uh, with one of my daughters and like Larry had alluded to earlier, talking about just the 24 hour nature of our business. Plus I was commuting every single week to Utah and back. So, I mean, I was just, I was, you know, trying to stay in shape. So riding my bike a lot, I think just all the stress and all the hours, and all the interrupted sleep, I just, I had like, well, I had like a heart attack. <laughs> I was 49 years old. Uh, I hate even saying that out loud. Um, and it, it was just too much. It, it just wore me out. Larry's constitution's better than mine. I, I think he worries about certain things, but he, I think, deals with stress better than I do in some ways. No, not necessarily and, better, just differently. Yeah, I internalize things a lot to the point where, like, I work myself into a frenzy. Um, so anyway, I have this heart problem, and it, it seriously fucked me up for six months, pretty much. And but that was a turning point. I mean, I remember this, Larry. I remember looking you at the hospital, going, "Dude, I can't die tonight." <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or not, but. I remember it vividly. And I meant that because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to live. I got all this, you know, we had about 20 employees. So I'm like, I got Larry, I got my wife, I got my two kids. I got the 20 employees. Like I don't have time to die. <laughs> you know, like I, there's way more to be done. And then, you know, like when that died off and I started go, all right, well, I'm going to live. I just remember thinking like, I don't want to run around putting fires out all the time anymore. Like this isn't that fun. You know, like, I mean, yeah, we have a nice business. It was definitely getting better, but it was still like too much owner involvement, not enough systems. Our culture kind of wasn't that great. We had a bunch of guys working for us that were probably good people, but just weren't that into it. And it was a lot of stress. Indeed. So I remember the guys that were night, engaged. I was just like, I have to change this. What's that? So the guys weren't engaged, which made it tough yeah. on us because we weren't sure how to get them engaged. Yeah. 
Yeah. So after that event, which, you know, was kind of a watershed event for me, and I, I think for Larry too. Yeah, big time. Um, we kind of made a plan where, you know, Larry was going to step step it up, like, and run a lot more stuff and kind of get thrown to the wolves a little bit to free me up to, to figure out how to get where we really wanted to go. I mean, it wasn't that we weren't where we wanted to be in many ways, but we wanted to take it to that like world-class awesome level. And that was going to take time. And, you know, I had to read and research and podcasts and go to seminars and, you know, Larry had my back. I mean, it was kind of like in the early days when I, stayed on the truck doing work and Larry went and marketed Larry would come back and go, Oh, you know, I hung out in this chamber and I'd be like, yeah, I was, you know, crawling around on my hands and knees cleaning carpet and stuff. So that, you know, it was kind of Larry's turn to quote unquote, be on the truck for a while when I wasn't. But what I realized was I started taking all these lessons I learned from John Maxwell, Darren Hardy, Howard Partridge, you know, all these, gurus, Tony Robbins. And I started bringing them and we started doing a daily morning meeting. And Larry, do you agree that that was like the most important thing we ever did in our whole lives? In hindsight, it really got the guys engaged, got the guys dialed. They just started, it created a culture and a movement. And that's what made the big difference. They enjoyed coming to work. When the guys enjoy coming to work, it makes it easier for us to come to work. And it was a big deal. And the training resonated. I mean. But you fought me on that tooth and nail at the beginning. Yeah, because there's a cost involved. And that's what I talk about a lot. You know, you get 10 guys in a room and they're all making 25 bucks an hour. And you keep them there for 15 minutes. And it adds up to a lot of money. And if you do that every single day. But after time, you'd see the people look forward to the meeting. And they would get mad if we didn't have a meeting. Would see that mistakes went down dramatically because that's what got to me the most was the guys doing stupid ass shit. It would make me so frustrated. Sales went up though too. Yeah, all the sales. Yeah, everything improved, and it just improved a little bit at a time. And we'd get a new guy, and they'd say, "What the heck is this meeting? You don't have meetings like this." We're like, "No, no, this is your training." And yeah, well, and the thing what so. It didn't start out smoothly, though. So I started, like, you know, getting them to set goals, and we'd do all this, oh, like, Darren yeah. Hardy special. They did not like that. They did not like that. And all this. And, like, all those things were awesome for Larry and I as the owners. We were like, oh, this is amazing. We want to share this with everybody. And I, I, you know, would sit down and hand out sheets and be like, you know, write down your goals for fitness and and relationships and finance. And I mean, they freaked out. I mean, we even had a, a guy who worked for us for a while yeah. and he, he, his life wasn't great. He had a lot of home problems and he, after the meeting one day, he said, Hey, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And came in my office, shut the door. And he's like, uh, I can't do this goal setting thing anymore. And I said, well, why not? And his thing was like, it's just stressing me out, man. It's like, I just, it's just one more stress. It's just too much. I can't do it. And, you know, he had shared with me and Larry, you know, his home issues. And I was like, well, 
that this will make your life better. That the things that we're talking about are the fix. And he was like, yeah, I don't care. It's not worth it. I'd rather just stay where I'm at. And that was like the, the, the moment where I was like, uh, this isn't working the way, you know, it worked for Larry and I, when, the, when these gurus would teach us, yeah, we ate it up. <laughs> but, and then but after they, that, yeah. after that, that's when you were going to Maxwell, you were going to get certified. I remember. Yeah, I got John Maxwell certified. And I mean, I was like, I mean, I'm a, Larry and I both, we're all in people. Like, you know, I don't do anything with nuance. I just go. <laughs> so, you know, I was hitting them with way too much, way too fast. Well, and what we did is we started doing it after we came home from Howard Partridge. We were there for a couple of days at a conference. We had all these great ideas. We're going to share. It was a leadership conference. Great ideas. We're going to teach these guys goals, all the stuff that worked with us. But it didn't work on them. They were technicians. So they just had a different mentality. Nothing wrong with them. We're not that we're above or below them or anything. They no. just had a different perspective. Well, they also had a different upbringing than we yeah. did. So anyway, it, I was pounding my head against the wall because I was so desperate to make change, positive change. And then one day I just had this epiphany. I'm just like, wait a minute. I'm a tech. I mean, at heart, I'm a technician. You know, like I talk tech. I've I've worked blue collar jobs basically my entire life from when I was 15 on. I'm like, why am I talking to them like, you know, like one of these gurus? I just need to talk to them how I normally talk to them out in the field, you know, and I need to take these lessons and break them into tiny little parts and then put a story from our business, like basically, you know, a blue collar story with the lesson and then, do it over and over, just like, you know, Michael Jordan shooting foul shots where it's like, it's that repetitive, you know, that we're doing it over and over and over and over in these little pieces, but all based on, you know, the job that we did. And then all of a sudden you saw massive change. Like that's when I, that was the, I think that's the happiest I've ever been in my life. Like to all of a sudden see people who were just sitting there with their arms crossed, rolling their eyes every time I talk about goals. Now all of a sudden they're answering and raising their hand and they're engaged or they're coming back from the field saying, Hey, what you talked about this morning, I saw it. And I said, great, well, let's talk about it tomorrow. And you can tell everybody in the meeting. And then we, I mean, don't you think that's when our whole business changed, Lair? Yeah, it made things much better. We had a better team. We were better. We were happier. It's just because you and I were engaged with the meeting as well. We looked forward to the meeting in the morning. We looked forward. It was a, a forum, a real quick forum in the morning where everybody got to communicate and everybody got a little bit of a floor and we boom, 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 we're out of there. And I had a blast because I'd always crank the radio right before you were <laughs> and your tech whispering and half of the guys would laugh their ass off and then the other ones were like would you tell him to shut the goddamn music off <laughs> i was always on the other side with all of them daniel laughing and yeah bill would never I mean, be laughing right, right when i'd get ready to start my lesson on the whiteboard larry would crank some sort of music that he knew i hated music. and then he'd dance around the room just to annoy me which every morning i wanted to th freaking throttle you <laughs> but the guys were so into it 
They would laugh. It was just, it became a thing. Uh, I think it's the whole odd couple thing where like you and I are so different. They got more of a kick out of our reaction to each other. (laughs) Anyway. um, So, you know, we, we started doing this and everything, everything changed and everything got better. Then we started, we went through a little slow period and cash flow got tight, real tight. So Larry was like, dude, we can't do the morning meeting anymore. These guys already, you know, you've been doing this every day. These guys know this stuff, you know, so let's just, we'll do one, one day a week and then we'll just send them out. We'll just text them every night with what they have to do. And, you know, I didn't really want to, but I understood that we kind of needed to just money wise, we couldn't really afford it or we thought we couldn't afford it. Yeah, so we did a really good morning meeting and our entire business turned into a shit show within a few weeks. Don't you think? I think they, I think they rebelled a little bit. They were pissed. They're like, well, because all great meeting. We're, not, we're not invest. What we're telling them is we're not going to invest in you anymore and you're not that important. Yeah. They're not getting the personal attention. They're not getting the lessons in the morning. They weren't getting, they weren't getting tech, tech whispered to. And they're, I think they were bumming. Larry, explain why you keep saying tech whisperer. Because, dude, that's what you are. You're the tech whisperer. You got the horse whisperer that talks to the horses. The horses get him. You got the chi-chi, whatever his name is, the dog whisperer. And he talks Caesar. to the dog. Caesar, sorry. <laughs> so you're the tech whisperer. And the reason is because I'd explain, I'd be sitting there and I'd explain to this guy exactly what he needs to do. And he'd be looking at me like, um, you can't understand anything. I got things growing out of my head. And I'm like, come here, Eric, tell him what I just said. And I'd stand there and Eric would say just very similarly what I said. And he said, the guy say, oh, okay. And walk away. And that would be it. And I'd be like, what the fuck is that? All about? <laughs> I don't know if I said exactly what you said, but I, I would boil down to what you said into their, way of talking into their their language they understood you and i'm like why don't they hear me it's like i'm wah, 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 wah. i'm charlie brown's teacher they're nodding their head like they're getting it because they don't know what else to do uh, the owner, i'll listen to them whatever <laughs> well right. you know i mean i didn't realize this early on and i wasn't really using it but i mean just like i'll give you an example larry's strength zone is customer service and and relationship building. It just comes easy to him. Those things don't come easy to me uh, at all. They're very unnatural. And I didn't realize it till later on, but just dealing with the technicians comes really easy to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I've had multiple, you know, I'm, I'm consulting now. I go to places where I don't know the people. I don't have relationships with them. And, you know, very quickly, I'm uh, I'm able to teach the techs. They just I don't know. Yeah, I just connect well with them, which is yeah, really I guess. Cool. So anyway, we did away with the with the meeting because we didn't think we could afford it. And then immediately, and I'm going to use the the weed whacker story. The weed whacker story is we had a guy, good guy, but kind of pissed that we're not doing the morning meeting, and he's so disengaged at this point. He sets a gas weed whacker upside down on somebody's friggin' sofa. 
Like what happens? Gas leaks out all over the sofa. And then our manager comes in and it's like, yeah, you know, I think we're gonna have to buy a sofa for this lady. And, and Larry and I are like, why would we have to buy a sofa? Well, so-and-so put a weed whacker upside down on the sofa. We were like a down. weed whacker? What is a weed whacker doing on a goddamn sofa? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the weed whacker on the sofa, though, was a breaking point because we had already immediately started experiencing, like, unhappy customers. For the first time ever, we started getting bad reviews on, like, Yelp. Um, yeah. You know, we had breakages. Uh, upsells basically went to zero immediately. So all of a sudden, you know, we're trying to save a few dollars just to make cash flow work. And all of a sudden now we're losing our ass because we stopped doing a morning meeting and, you know, it was like everything I'd ever taught them went out the window. And I mean, I don't necessarily think they were doing it on purpose. I think they, they were disengaged because they felt cheated, but more than anything, the system that I had created relied on talking about these kind of things every single day. So it was on top of their mind every single day to do all these right things. And when we stopped doing it every day and tried to do it once a week, it just wasn't enough. Yeah. The theme of the day was gone. The theme wasn't fun. There wasn't fun themes to go around that was introduced to them every single day. So we went we just sucked it up and, and went back to doing the morning meeting. And and finally it was like, it's when it all clicked. And then the business started to really roll, you know, those last couple of years. Um, it was like having a completely different business than we had ever had the previous 11, you know, um, the people survived through the no meetings. And then when we started doing it again, they just, it was like this huge rebound effect and they just, like all oh, we're killing it. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing up on an hour. So I want to, I want to kind of wrap up and talk about what we're doing now, but that's what enabled us to sell our business. And most blue collar service guys are never able to sell their business because they haven't created enough value to have anything to buy beyond the equipment at, you know, 10 or 20 cents on the dollar. And, you know, we had built an awesome reputation and sold lots of con commercial contracts and there was value, but we could never have done that without the amazing team. And the amazing team really happened because we dedicated ourselves to doing a morning meeting. Yeah, it made a huge difference in the culture. And the culture was what made the company good at the end, we connected with our guys on a daily basis, and that was valuable. We didn't have to talk to each guy individually. We had a meeting where everybody was engaged, and it was so efficient and effective every day that it, it's a sh we have to pass it on, on to somebody, pass it on to everybody because yeah. um, there's value. Yeah. So after we sold, I started a consulting firm to, to basically teach that, you know, teach technicians and, uh, and I'm still doing that today. And it, more than anything, I wanted to know that it worked if I wasn't signing the paycheck, you know, if I was just some guy, would they still respond? Tech whisperer, tech whisperer walks into the business. Yeah. So, and I, and I learned very quickly into my consulting business that it, it, 
it works within any technicians and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be water damage. It could be plumbing, uh, remodels, pest control, moving companies, any, any company that sends technicians into the house, basically all the soft skills to make a customer happy are the same, you know? Um, so that leads us to, to the end of this story of our, our business career. So I, once I kind of did that and, you know, Larry had stayed with the company that bought us out as a marketer. So I, I moved out of state and was doing this consulting and it just kept gnawing at me, you know, that more guys need this, you know, like I don't want people to go through all the pain and suffering and years and toil and struggle that we did. And, you know, I had been doing a fair amount of video lessons from Utah the last couple of years because I was home more with my family. And it didn't really matter, did it, Lair? I mean, it was fine as long as they got the lesson. Yep. Your video, you, when you weren't there, we just put you on the screen yeah. on the whiteboard and it works fine. Yeah. And some days I, I couldn't be there live. So I'd just shoot the video in advance and you guys would play it and talk about it. So anyway, Larry and I had parted ways and, you know, we're, we had sold and we were happy and we're each doing our thing. And I called him up one day and I was like, dude, I got an idea for a business because, you know, what we were doing, I'm, I'm doing every day, you know, with just one company at a time and we can get, send this out to the masses with a membership site, you know, online. And for the last, what, eight months? Yeah. It's been eight months. Roughly eight months we've been working on building this membership site. It's a completely different skill set for us. So it's been all new learning how to do it. But, you know, Larry, why don't you tell them a little bit about what we're doing and how it works? And you're you're better than that than I am for sure. So, So what we're doing is trying to mimic the morning meeting. And we're doing it the same way we did as if you weren't there. The morning tech meeting getting the techs engaged every day with a lesson from the tech whisperer. The guys feel the energy coming from you, the connection coming from you. They realize that the owner's giving them attention. There's a daily theme that goes through the culture. The culture's better and everybody's happy. And these technicians that wouldn't be very good all of a sudden become great because your lessons empower them, give them confidence create expectations in their lives. A lot of these guys don't come from a lot. And any type of personal development that they're presented with is brand new and it makes a huge impact in their lives. So they're looking forward to come to the meeting in the morning so that they can, can do a good job and then they become good technicians. Empower well, them to be better than... giving them a coach. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the owner will have a business coach, but does the technician ever get a business coach? No. Yeah. And this is what exactly makes these guys feel good about themselves. You feel good about yourself. We all know your performance and who you are is going to improve. And this is what you're getting them a tech whisperer coach for the technicians. And if the technicians are out there making money, more money, more effectively, more efficiently for the owners, the owners are going to be really happy. And that's what worked for us. You're going to sleep better as an owner. You're going to rest better. You're not going to worry as much. You're going to have trust in guys. They're going to trust in you and you're going to trust in them. And we all know that that makes a much better environment to work in and to own a business in. 
So the pluses are through the roof. And um, well, then I think with a membership site, you know, we can bring this to people at a very low cost per month that you could never do. You know, my consulting is going to cost a lot of money because I, I have to travel there and go there and spend time. And, you know, but with the video, we can get it to lots of people at a very low price. And that's what that that's what we want, because we remember when we couldn't even afford toilet paper for the office. <laughs> you know, when you're starting out, it's rough. Yeah. So. Um, and the concept you know, isn't all that crazy and it would make sense. It's just that the owner has to buy into showing the videos consistently. And we went through the ups and downs of that, obviously, that we spoke about. You show the videos consistently, you're going to see consistently better performance in your technicians. Yeah. And that's what makes a huge difference in your business. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up. We're, we're, we're just a couple minutes shy of an hour. You know, Larry and I didn't do this podcast, number one, to be some big sales pitch. We wanted to tell our story. The, the problem, I mean, the thing is, is that the story leads right into what we're doing now. Um, so if it sounded like a sales pitch, we certainly weren't trying to do that. I mean, no, yes, no, it's important that somebody buys this program. For well, yeah, of course. But, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, we, yeah, of course. <laughs> We like money too. Um, but the thing is, is that what we really wanted to do tonight was tell our story because we know so many other blue collar service business owners that really struggle, aren't that happy, um, kind of hate their business or slave to their business. We've been there. We understand that. And the purpose of this whole podcast, you know, we wanted to set a foundation so you guys know who we are. And we're going to get a bunch of guests on with all different facets of blue collar life. Uh, and, and then also people who aren't blue collar, but serve blue collar businesses like accountants and lawyers and all that, you know, because the whole point when I said this more at the beginning of this was, you know, this podcast is dedicated to making blue collar service business owners lives better. And we just see too many guys suffering and it, they don't have to, we can help. So. Uh, I think we end on that. Uh, Larry, any final words? Be good humans. Be good humans. Hmm. <laughs> Dude, you're such a weirdo. <laughs> no. If you're a blue-collar business owner, check it out. I hope it could help you. That's the idea. We're here to be of service, just like we were to our clients, and now we want to help other blue-collar business service uh, owners. All right. Well, Larry and I will be back next week with episode two. Larry, you have a good night and we will talk soon. Out. Out.